I want to give a huge shout out to my guys at Police Canine Association. You can contact them through email at policecanineassociation at gmail.com or go to the website policecanineassociation.com or pk9a.com and check out their awesome gear. This episode in part is brought to you by DeminayBiteSuits.com, based in Loveland, Colorado. Be sure to hit them up at DeminayBiteSuits.com, D-E-M-A-N-E-T, BiteSuits.com. Yeah, I'm a crazy motherfucker walking up your street. Craziest fucker that you ever seen. Welcome to Working Dog Radio, broadcasting the bite. All right, here we are again, Working Dog Radio, broadcasting the bite. Final day of the Bravo 3 conference here in Vegas with the kids from Tripwire Operations Group. It has been a chaotic show. Um, having been to a lot of these, I'll tell you, Eric and I were pretty impressed that uh, the way it was ran. Um, I've been to some of these that were absolute shit shows, but this was actually pretty good. We had a lot of good instructors and a lot of good material from SWAT uh, explosives and then, of course, the canine guys, uh, which you know, you're going to be hearing some of those interviews. With me right now is the CEO of Tripwire Operations Group out of Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, and the organizer of this event here in Vegas, Ryan Morris. How are you doing? Thanks for having me. No problem at all. This has been a fantastic event. You know, this has been in the making for what, like seven, eight months, it seems yeah, like. Yeah, basically this time last year we went attended a, uh, another conference and uh, we were unhappy with uh, how things were going. Uh, we've been attending conferences for 10 years and I was listening to the vendors talk, I was listening to uh, the attendees talk and it just wasn't, you know, it wasn't there anymore. So I got mad and it that, that led to, hey, let's do our own thing, and uh, we mixed it up. Three different disciplines all in one location, and uh, the interaction's been fantastic. Yeah, one of the things that, you know, everybody knows of SHOT Show. Uh, we were here for SHOT Show. Um, I affectionately call it Shit Show just because, I mean, there's, you know, 70,000 or however many people here, and it's more for vendors or people that are out here to you know people that run gun stores and whatever else so you don't get a whole lot of um, because they do have classes and everything else but you don't get a whole lot of information and for a lot of departments it's almost a wasted um, or for a lot of military and law enforcement you know they send decision makers but they don't send actual handlers they don't send SWAT guys they don't send those people because there's not a whole lot of continuing education going on so you know the theme of this entire conference was educating the brave so we had a, a, a great uh, a full vendor hall that had, you know, vendors from canine, from explosives. I mean, across from our booth, we had the dude with the $750,000 robots that we kept trying to get him to hand us beer, and it was not happening. But yeah. <laughs> but then, you know, then we had the canine people, then we had the explosives people. So talk a little bit about the the, the, the point of the conference of, of of educating people as well. Well, the point of it is, you know, for some some of the conferences out there, it's the same thing, same instructors, same topics year after year. And um, what we tried to do, specifically Josh uh, Mills, who who works at Tripwire, he um, he went out and found people that um, have great presentations. Um, but uh, we brought them in here, we got them in front of people, and the classes were packed. Uh, for example. Um, uh, one of our electronics classes, we had a hundred people in there. We only had 50. yeah. I walked by that. Yeah, yeah. yeah there was only there's only fifty chairs. We had to scramble get a, 
get another 50 seats to get so people could sit down and then not only did they get the uh, the interaction with the instructor but they also got to build their own circuits which that you know right that's, you can't do that i mean you have to go to a class that's two thousand three thousand dollars to do that yeah so. i mean and, and that's a big deal so you know and then so many uh, in law enforcement military the specialized units not just necessarily patrol or whatever else and you're not talking about strictly firearms instructors but canine explosives and then swat have so many crossover because you'll have canine guys and explosive guys on teams with with standard SWAT guys and having those disciplines be intermingled um, you know one of the things we had some guys in our in ours that weren't handlers they were just normal SWAT dudes and they were like we don't even know what the capabilities of a dog are when they're put on a team and then we had like you told me that we had canine handlers going to the electronics class we're like what the yeah like so um that was kind of a big push here for, for one of the things that I think, because having been to canine-specific shows, that this has been uh, a huge success in that respect. So with what you're saying, uh, after the Boston bombing, just from a tripwire perspective, we had um, several departments engage us to do uh, basically a, a crossover class. Uh, canine came to us to learn about bomb squad functions, and bomb squad came to us to learn about the canine functions. and. This is now what what has produced over the next few years. This this conference is, is um, from that from that school of thought. Integrate everybody and get them working in the sandbox together. Right, or at least know what everybody is capable of, and so that everybody can train together. I met the guy from Delaware. Uh, State Police Bomb Squad, Chris, and you know he told me he was like, I don't know anything about dogs, but you know he said uh, he had some great information. Uh, I watched uh, probably about 15 minutes of his class, and you know super knowledgeable guy, super good dude, and you know he said you know we we he absolutely values canine as far as detection goes for bombs, but he's like you know once we find them we got to figure out how to get rid of them, or if we can't find them we got to use the dog. And he told a crazy story about bank robbery and this dude squeezed off around and didn't mean to and they ended up finding it with an explosives dog and the ground had been lodged itself into a fake plant and he was like there's no way we're going to be able to find that without having that stupid dog come in and i was like yes yeah. so he said and i i had no clue that the dog was even capable of being able to find something like that so you know i think that's a big outcome of this entire event that i don't think a lot of people thought of beforehand right and, I, and the, the feedback from all the instructors from the attendees was that it was most positive and um, next year when we we move it down to Florida, the Daytona Beach area, um, you know, those agencies that couldn't attend because it's in Vegas, this should give them an opportunity to attend there. Yeah, that'll be good. Um, so give us a little bit of background too. Tripwire is actually one of the sponsors of Working Dog Radio. Um, they're not a canine specific company. Um, they do basically everything that we've talked about here, canine, SWAT, and of course explosives is what they're most known for. But kind of give us a little bit of background on Tripwire. Um, and since we're on Working Dog Radio, the dog side of it as okay. well. Well, great. So Tripwire Operations Group was formed 13 years ago. I started it because I felt there was an unmet need uh, for training um, police officers and first responders to deal with weapons of mass destruction. Uh, from that point on, it, it has grown. We uh, started selling explosives uh, because canine um, handlers needed kits that were sterile and that were um, able to uh, be easily transported. Uh, we went out and we received a DOT authorization to put everything in one box and, and ship it around the country. Uh, and that's working out uh, fantastic. We, um, we sell firearms, we make firearms, and then we provide uh, advanced training. We're not a canine entity. Um, I don't want to uh, put us out there as a canine training entity uh, in and of itself, but what we are is um, out-of-the-box thinkers. We're taking the background of 
SWAT guys, the bomb squad guys, um, and we're integrating that in the canine world. For example, uh, we have a contract with uh, the Marine Corps Special Operations Command, and they train. Yeah, they train us every two two to three months. They're at our facility, and we're we could be doing full mission profiles one month. Uh, the other month we could be doing uh, buried hides, where we put stuff six feet underground, and we're testing the handlers. I, well, I wouldn't call it testing. I'd say showing them um, the different. Uh, abilities of the dogs and increasing their handler awareness, uh, handler confidence, and um, it's working out great. It's things like that that make us feel um, like we're, we're giving back to the community, that community, even though we're specifically not, that's not our discipline. Right, yeah, and I've been up to the, I've been up to the facility up there in Gettysburg, and aside from all the cool artwork and everything else, they have a full, like, lab in the basement, and you've got the robots, and um, I was up there when, I think, uh, I don't remember who it was, one of the transit police guys were there training, and, you know, that was kind of the, the, the feeling is you guys don't provide a front, like a front-loaded or a started or a finished dog, but you do provide, like you said, you know, realistic training for run FTX, or sorry, uh, mission profiles for um, special operations group for SWAT, for explosives guys, and you have access to... And you have access to large or, or mass flying stuff that a lot of times explosive units, even explosive dogs, aren't, aren't, don't have the ability to have access to all the time, which is a huge deal. And the biggest thing right now for us uh, is the homemade explosive or improvised threat. Right. And we're able to facilitate, the, uh, we can make TATP, HMDD, MEKP right in our lab and a variety of other homemade explosive formulations. And then we'll make 14 to 20 grams, where the ATF or FBI only make one gram. Right. We're making 14 grams, we're getting the dogs outside, we're getting them right on the odor right away. They just So we make the product with the students, they can see how it's made, they can see how easy it is to make it, and then we go out uh, and we train the dogs on it. So they're getting that, that confidence again. Yeah, that's one thing Scott and I don't mess with. I don't... I don't use real TATP when we do explosive dogs, one, because that shit's scary. <laughs> and we use, you know, I mean, pretty much everything else we have, live stuff. But, you know, the, some of the stuff that you guys have that is dangerous to make, da- like excessively dangerous to handle, but is relatively easy to manufacture, which is why people are using it. And the dogs need to be able to be exposed to that amount of odor and that amount of vapor pressure and everything else in a realistic situation. So it's good that that is available as a as a source and a skill set to be taught. And, you know, that's one thing that I think Tripwire does that is extremely unique, even in the canine industry, because you've got even the ATF guys, like you said, in the FBI, and, you know, some of the CIA handlers have even still aren't even exposed to some of that stuff. And that's what these agencies are for, well, the ATF anyway. So, you know. Um, and we're taking that on the road. We don't just do that in Gettysburg. Right. We go all over the country. In fact, uh, we're going to be doing some stuff up in Canada this year. Excellent. So. Yes, and, you know, uh, they have the truck, which is a big deal. So, you know, a lot of people, and for the handlers that are listening, uh, or for the bomb guys that are listening, I'm sure they know, but the handlers that are listening that handle explosives dogs, you know, a lot of the issue of getting live material is either, is literally getting it to you. We can't use FedEx, we can't use Postal Service, and, you know, the guys at Tripwire have the giant truck that has the DOT regulations, all the insurance, and all of the files of paperwork (laughs) that allows them to drop it off at your door so which is a huge deal and uh every two months we go across the country and we take we we take different routes so uh when we do these long runs typically to go from gettysburg to california we'll say it's like 3800 3900 dollars but if you jump on one of these routes when we're going across the country we give a discount the more orders that are on that truck the cheaper it is for your shipping right 
Yeah. So, so, what, so you can maybe end up with two hundred dollars shipping fee, which should have been three three thousand, four thousand dollars. Yeah, which is a huge deal. I mean, that that's been you know that's always been our problem. You know, is getting getting stuff and then like, well, we need it now, we don't need it now, whatever else. And it's always been you know because the explosives themselves aren't like super expensive, but the handling, the storage, of course, everybody knows if you're got the ATF permitting, like getting all that stuff available and all your paperwork over is a huge deal, and that and it is. And it, but it's an extremely important part of what we do. So. Um, you guys also do uh, fireworks now, right? Yeah, so um, we did that as a joke, and <laughs> right? uh, we thought, you know, we're bomb guys, so let's go out and try this pyrotechnic thing. And um, so we have uh, several long-term contracts now. Uh, for example, this Fourth uh, of July, we'll be out on the Ohio River again in Wheeling, West Virginia. Awesome! And it is it is a 22-minute show, and it. It is awesome. We're out in a barge and being out there and setting off, you know, twelve-inch shell. It's, it's it's just it's awesome. It's awesome. Excellent. So uh, next year we're going to be in Daytona. Mm-hmm. Um, um, you know, bringing everything together here. Maybe some doing some live demos. Uh, we did a little bit of live bite work in the class, but um, I think that would be uh, very beneficial. What will be different next year? And I can promise this: in Daytona, we have access to large venues, so we'll be we will be doing. Are conducting large high training right. during that so guys will come to us uh, for that, that conference they can bring their dogs they'll be able to work uh, work the dogs this won't be just a sit in a classroom kind of thing we will have classes going on but we're going to have actual training scenarios we're going to be able to go out uh, the SWAT guys will be able to go out and shoot uh, we'll be doing some explosive entry work the the bomb guys will, will have a robot rodeo going on things like that it, it's not going to be a sit in the classroom thing and it's not going to be three days it's going to or two days it's going to be four days excellent so yeah that's a big deal and, and that's kind of one of the things about all three of these disciplines is um you know it's kind of the master splinter and jedi type deal like you have to go out and do it so we can sit and like chris like i sat through a little bit of his his breaching thing and you know i am not a swat guy i am not an explosives guy but i learned even just sitting there i was like oh okay there's a lot of the stuff that you know we do we talk with some of the swat teams about dog entries and everything else it made a lot of sense and there was a lot of correlation but being able for SWAT guys for dog handlers, whether they be on SWAT or just normal EOD or even just normal patrol guys, and then for uh, for bomb guys to be able to come and do actual stuff, um, you know, would be is super, 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 super beneficial and a very, very good use of time and resources for departments. Hey, I want to say just to take a moment here that, that what you're doing here, this idea, this podcast stuff, right. is phenomenal. <laughs> um, you know, people nowadays have attention spans of zero, so. Right. Uh, uh, with that being said, uh, you know I have to commend what you guys are doing here and pushing this this out in a new media uh, format. It's, it's fantastic, and uh, we fully support it. Yeah, you know we do this. I mean, not that print is dead, but you know this is easily consumable. Uh, people can listen to it while they're on their way. They are on their way to work. They can listen to it in a car. They can listen to it on a plane. They can listen to it wherever they want. They can come back to it. Um, and we'll have show notes, links, and all of our and all of our stuff, which all link the Tripwire stuff here. Of course, we've got a lot of the website already, but we'll link the Tripwire stuff here. And then as we get closer to this next conference next year, uh, we'll start putting up um, more information about that, and then you'll see a lot of cross promotional stuff there too as well. Hey, another offering we're going to do: if you sign up in the next six months for the next conference, the first 50 people will go for free. Oh, 
There we go. So, so when are you guys gonna release? And that when I mean sure. fifty, I mean fifty canine, fifty bomb squad guys, and fifty SWAT. Nice. I'm sure. I, I'm, I'm gonna say, you know, when are you gonna start doing that? And if Josh here, if Josh were sitting here, he'd probably we'll, stab me. <laughs> now, a- April first, everything will be live to register. Okay. So April first, this will definitely air before that. So um, April first. Uh, over on Tripwire, there'll be a link for uh, the Bravo 3 conference for next year in Daytona. First 50 people, and I'll put this in the show notes, do the first 50 canine, first 50 SWAT, and first 50 EOD. So 150 total uh, for entries free before, you said six months before the date. Cool. And we had 300 in Vegas. Um, I would like to see seven, 800 next next time. I think that's uh, I think that's doable. So next year it's going to be Daytona Beach, uh, just uh, northern Florida. I think right now is how it is. But so... Anything else you got for us? No, I appreciate the time sitting down with me. Yeah, no problem at all. This is Ted, and uh, Eric is on his way back to uh, Canton. So, uh... I want to talk about something near and dear to my heart. That's the Police Canine Association, or PK9A. They were formed in 1985 by handlers for handlers. They're a 501c3 nonprofit that helps support active and retired canine units through fundraising and the sale of some badass merchandise. Please take a minute to check out their newly designed website at www.pk9a.com. That's pk9a.com. I've been a member there for 13 years and the current training director there. I can tell you there are some big things in the works to expand the nonprofit to help canine units all over. If you're on Instagram, check them out for some amazing content at Police Canine Association or Police Canine Association on Facebook. Oh, hold on a second. Let's talk about Demonay Bite Suits. From start to finish, you can order a new bisod suit online in like 10 minutes. That even includes the time to custom design your own unique suit. The days are way gone of having to order packets and snail mail everything back, and then you're not sure if they got it. So all you have to do is get online. Your order is sent straight to the kids at DeminayBiteSuits.com. And then once it's confirmed, everything is set up, they send it straight to Demine, making your life much easier and guaranteeing the fastest delivery time. Their online process is catered to giving you guys peace of mind while ensuring the fastest results. Demine offers a solution when it comes to high-quality, durable, professionally-made bite suits. Invest in a Demine bite suit and take pride in having a reliable suit made just for you. That'll never let you down. DeminayBiteSuits.com is operated by Complete Canine Training, LLC, which is Chris and Chelsea. They're based out of Loveland, Colorado. They've been training police canines and protection dogs and family dogs for over 10 years. They have the same passions as you guys, so you know that what you want in a bite suit, they want the same things too. And they're here to help you guys through the process. Feel free to contact them, and they'll be able to help you out and point you in the right direction. Head over to DeminayBiteSuits.com. That is D-E-M-A-N-E-T, BiteSuits.com. Go over, be sure to use the 10% off of anything you have, you're going to order. The discount code is working dog radio, all one word. They do free shipping. They also do purchase orders for government and, and law enforcement agencies. They also started a new program where they're going to do financing for buy it now, pay later through PayPal. Hit them up, DeminayBiteSuits.com. All right, everybody. We are here for Working Dog Radio, broadcasting the bite from the Bravo 3 conference put on by Tripwire Operations Group here in Las Vegas. Uh, Ted, what do, you, uh, what do you think so far? It's been great. Eric and I, uh, we had a uh, full class today doing the uh, decoy demonstration, talking about uh, scenario-based training and uh, proper decoy work, the impact it has on maintaining control dogs. 
and uh, it was good. We had some people, we had several, I wasn't sure how many canine handlers we were going to have, and it turned out that I think all, all of them were canine handlers, so, you know, we were kind of like, well, we might have some SWAT guys, we may have some bomb guys, and then it ended up that they were all <laughs> canine handlers, so it was like a normal canine conference. Yeah, that was good. We got to uh, do some pretty cool stuff, teach them some things, give them some ideas with their, uh, you know, their decoy work for their scenario training, so it was pretty cool. Um, we, one of the things we've got to do here is meet a lot of great people, and uh, we'll have a few different uh, interviews that come out of this, this thing here. Uh, the guys from uh, Tripwire Ops are doing an amazing job. This is, for the first year, this is pretty cool. And uh, if you're into dogs or bombs or anything like this, when they do this next year, you've got to check it out because there's an amazing amount of information coming out of here. Ted, you want to introduce our guest? Yeah, we have uh, Jason Johnson, who is the uh, president of Project Canine Hero, nonprofit, helping retired dogs. Um, he's going to give us the story um, of Canine Flash, um, and is going to talk about the book, going to talk about the uh, foundation, and then talk a little bit about what he was doing here. Um, talk about a little bit of canine career in this background. Jason, how you doing? Doing great. Thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, yeah. No, fantastic. How are you liking the show so far? So far, it's been great. Uh, with the foundation, you know, we're just out here to raise awareness for retired police and military working dogs. And anytime we can get out here and talk to people about what we do and what the needs are of these retired heroes and to raise some awareness, uh, we're happy to do so. So, go a little bit about, uh, like, talk a little bit about your background. It's kind, of, it's kind of unique in terms of canines and, like, how you started, how you got in, what your. Bit like we were talking before we started the interview, we'll talk about a little bit about the uh, the foundation, um, and then we'll move on. Sure. Well, I came in the U.S. Army in 1993. I was a U.S. Army military police officer till '98. Got out, wanted to be a, a police canine officer. We started out in, uh, up near Tacoma, Washington, a small town of Puyallup. Uh, as soon as I got out of the Army in '99, was there for a few years. Went over to Yakima, Washington, became a SWAT canine handler. Uh, worked there until 2008 when I was recruited by Blackwater. Ended up going over to Iraq. Uh, worked uh, a place called Al Hilla. Did some missions for uh, agencies like uh, the Department of State, Department of Defense, the CIA. Then went over to Afghanistan. I was assigned to the uh, Ambassador Eikenberry's details as personal protection, explosive detection handler. Did uh, advanced uh, sweeps of all the high-level meetings all across that country. Uh, for example, I did the elections in 2009 and a few other the the bigger events we had there. Um, right about that time, I uh, was accepted by the ATF to become a national instructor at their academy out in Front Row, Virginia. So it was a really good job, and I knew it would really take me far in my canine career if I took it. So uh, I left Afghanistan in 2010, did that. Uh, shortly after that, I became the lead instructor at ATF National Academy, trained thousands of dogs there. It was really great, FBI, CIA, Marshals, NGA. Uh, all different types of great agencies and ended up working a lot with the military working dog program out in Yuma, Arizona doing the uh, homemade explosive courses for about 1,200 dogs in the period of uh, five, six years there. After that I left that and went over to TSA to work with the passenger screening program. Well, I had a position called field canine coordinator. It's like a program manager for the region. I moved back to my home state of Michigan and uh, did that for a few years till what I decided in that job was I became the guy who was taking dogs out of service and people would come to me when their dog could no longer physically work and I became the guy that would sign the hold harmless, give it to you, say congratulations you get your dog. But that's when the dog needed our help the most uh, with the funding and that's when unfortunately the government cut that off. So I started a foundation to change that 
And what we mainly do is take care of retired heroes like that who have special needs or have special medical care, and we raise money and awareness to uh, offset those costs for those handlers so they don't have to put their dog down. And if there's a bill that they can't pay, they can come to me, and we'll, we'll pay those bills for them. That's amazing. You know, that's a lot of dogs to handle over the, all that time, thousands of dogs. Probably 2,000. Yeah, probably 2,000 dogs. That's There's not a lot of people in this business. I handle a lot of dogs and train a lot of dogs, but I'm not even close to that. So the amount of work you get there, um, have you, is there anything you haven't seen, you think? Well, I'm sure there's things I haven't seen. I mean, I mean, there's always someone bigger and better out there, right? And, you know, here today I was teaching uh, scent detection procurement for the, for the course here at the uh, Bravo 3. And, you know, when you, as a canine guy, and I know you guys teach as well, you, you want to teach something at these events that you really know something a lot about, right? And I know a little bit about, I used to be a narcotics handler, and worked DA task force, you know, I started as a decoy, but if there's anything I know a lot about, it's, it's procuring dogs for the government uh, on both sides, as a government employee and as a contractor. So uh, that's the one thing that uh, I feel confident standing in front of a group of any people around the world and talking about. So before we kind of get into the nonprofit, uh, you were talking before <clears throat> about some of the procurement stuff and about your checklist for environmentals. We were talking with uh, one of the interviews with uh, what about subtle, and you know, that's one of the things that we all check. I mean, first and foremost, the dog has to have solid environmentals. So talk a little bit about how you wrote that that uh, policy for uh, the feds, and then talk about a little bit. You don't have to obviously go through every single hundred point, but like, right. give us some like you know checklists on sure. the big ones. So. So basically, when I was when I was at ATF, um, I was in charge of dog procurement there, and we had a 60-point system there, and uh, basically it's a scoring between zero and five, and it has certain things. Uh, over the years, I've added that and made it to a 100-point system of some of the things that I saw that we were testing on. But just to give an example, you know, for like the dogs that uh, maybe I procure for the TSA and send down to Lackland there, you know, elevators, escalators, things of that nature. Um, if they're going to be working in an airport environment, they got to be they got to be good at these things. And if you're procuring a dog or you're sending a dog off to work, you need to make sure before you do anything that they can handle all that. If not, um, it's probably not going to be a good dog for that business. How do you guys go about testing some of that stuff specifically? Because, you know, we have a lot of dogs that, um, you know, I mean, for instance, I, you know, Scott and I are doing some bed bug dogs right now, and those dogs are going to be operating in hotels, and they're going to be operating hospitals. So they're going to be seeing some things that, like a normal patrol dog or like a dog that, like you said, is going to be working in an airport. Like, these dogs are probably never going to an airport ever. So, I mean, do you have a special facility that you guys tested, or how did you do a lot of those tests? Actually, uh, so what I do is I always try to test the dog in the environment that's going to be working, right? So if it's, if it's going to be a TSA, say dog I'll take it to an airport get it around baggage claim get it around that conveyor belt get it around people uh, you know even your automatic doors that open up you know things of that nature um, so if you're doing a bed bag dog take it to the hotels you know and I take it different things get it up and down the elevator get up and downstairs get it around the cleaning staff um, have the cleaning staff approach it see if it's going to be friendly see you know if there's an issue push the cart around things of that nature so try to make every um, procurement um, really keyed in on what the dog's mission is going to be. If it's a dog that's working maritime operations, then we need to get it out on a boat and do that. So um, as I teach in the class a lot, it's it's all dependent on the job's mission or the dog's mission. So uh, is is your system a, is it a pass-fail or do you see some, maybe you get a dog that's never seen a open back step, steps with open grates and things like that. Do you, is it a, is it a, if they won't go up it, but Maybe they will go up with a toy ahead of them. Is that a is that something you take into 
consideration or is it pass fail? Nope, it's uh, zero through uh, five on the scoring. Out of 100 points on my system, they need to have 60 out of 100 to pass. So, you know, if it was a little weak in there, I might score a two or a three. That, okay, we think we can work with that, but maybe it was a five over in this area or a four in this area. And if the overall score is going to put us at a, you know, a good evaluation, it might be a dog we're going to look at. And keep in mind, I created this when I'm testing 30 to 40 dogs a day, and I can't remember exactly what was this right, one right. good in again and what was this one so if i'm testing 30 a day now i can go back and i'll have some metrics to judge off if i'm going to select five or if i'm going to select 10. but absolutely it can be low in one area you know but it's going to have to make it up in another so when you're working for procurement for all these different government agencies has did the pointy ear floppy ear thing change a bunch while you're there like like they were okay with Malinois and Shepherd as long as they were friendly, or they only wanted the floppy ear dogs? Well, or? it depends. I, I manage several different contracts. So, I mean, you know, if we're going down Customs Border Patrol in El Paso, you know, our pointy ear dogs are fine. A lot of that's going to be in your statement of work that you get from your uh, on your contract. Yeah. On my TSA contract, it says sporting breed only. It's going to be uh, labs, retrievers, golden retrievers. Uh, it can be uh, German Shorthead Pointers, Weimaraners. So your statement work is going to dictate, and that's going to come from the contracting office. So as a procurement guy, you need to know that statement will work like the back of your hand. So you're procuring the exact type of dog for them, or I thought you could find yourself wasting a little bit of time and money. What, what test did you do that you found the most failures in? Like two or three couple things that you were like, this is... This is where we failed. This is the where it happens the yeah, most. You, you kind of mentioned it, graded open steps. Uh, I have a, a lot of dogs that see problems with that graded uh, open steps. I uh, have a couple fire facilities I use. I go down to the firehouse where they got their tower. A lot of, right, them, right. A lot of them have a graded step. Yeah. Uh, you know, fire guys are usually pretty good. Like, hey, I'm going to come over and test some dogs. Most of them where I test, they know me. I kind of just pull back there, get my dogs out, just run them up and down a couple times. Um, I see a lot of failures on that, and I, and I can't tell you why. They just don't like it. Um, and then escalators. Um, a lot of dogs. Some of it, <clears throat> you gotta, you gotta understand. You know, you want to know dog behavior because some of it is I've never seen an escalator before. Okay, let's take it slow, do it a few times. And some of it, spread the paws out, hit the ground. You're gonna have to drag me. I'm not going. So okay. and in so, that case, that would be a failure. Like you're looking at recovery then. Like, you know, we are looking at recovery. Yeah. It, you know, if it, it, if, it, if it can recover and I can work through it, and I'm a pretty patient guy on that kind of stuff. We can work through it, great. But if I'm there for 10 minutes and I just can't get it to move, right. um, you know, maybe. So we had uh, Mike Ritland and Mike Suttle on, and they both made some statements that were pretty telling. Um, you know, I, I asked Ritland what he thought about the future of the military working program, these canine programs as a general. And, you know, the statement that he made, which Suttle followed up with, was basically that, you know, we're sort of hosed. We take all these really good genetics and then we don't ever breed these dogs and we're bottlenecking ourselves and we've overfished that. Now, you dealt a lot with, like you said, the sporting breeds. How, and I hear it all the time. I mean, I talked to a guy before I came up here, or before I came out here the other day, and he's like, you know, if I had X number of dogs, I could sell them. How difficult did or has it become if you're still, I mean, how difficult does it become to find, to fulfill, to find dogs to fulfill the contracts that meet this? Um, it, can be, it can be difficult, and, and, and that's going to be both on me finding them and getting them accepted by the government. Because 
you know, for one one time there, we were working the SSD program, which is your off-leash dog uh, stuff for the uh, for the military. Right. And you, know, but I have to, you know, they have to be already somewhat trained up on it. Okay. Well, the the bird dog trial guys can sell the dog for a lot more than I'm able to buy it for. Mm-hmm. So why would they sell it to me when they can train it up and send it, sell it to a hunter for three times the price? Right. Exactly. And so that's the problem with that program. The only way for me to do it is to raise the dogs myself and then put the off-leash, uh, you know stuff on them which takes a lot of time and uh, I have done that in the past and I have worked at, I, when I was at ATF we have a seek program there which is an off-leash explosive detection program that I, I helped with and uh, I've trained a lot of dogs that way but I'm telling you it's it's a program that takes uh, you know 18 weeks you know what I mean so I want I want to go to a, I want to go to a vendor who's a bird dog guy who's already got a dog going out doing a tee and doing different drills and coming back that I can almost immediately with a little polish work take down to Lackland right. and unload. I'm going to buy it for this price, I'm going to sell it for this price. So for the bird dog guys that are listening to this, because we're covering all kinds of different sport and working dog stuff, that are looking to maybe sell some of their dogs that they're not going to trial with, because I, I talk to guys that trial and they're like, this is a great hunting dog but not a good trial dog so I'm not going to keep them. Right. How far into their obsession with birds is it too far or can you get it away from it um some of so there's different contracts so like when we wrote them for the atf uh they couldn't have been on an e-collar at all okay well we're now we're just looking at the drives when we're i had one with the ssd program where they wanted it at a 300 by 300 meter or yard you know triangle rectangle going out to 10 different objects and retrieving back so they already want all that on it, plus one odor. Mm. A lot of contracts don't want any odor. So it really depends on what that contract says. It can be from zero to totally finished. It's the same with our TSA uh, passenger screening program. I got one contract that's green dog only. You know, it's got to pass all the environmental stuff. And then we got some where they want it fully trained. And each of them has a different price point on that. Did you get to write any of the contracts? Did they have you put input uh, I on did, that? I did when I was a government employee. So yeah. when I was a government employee, uh, uh, for example, we would write the standards. So when I was ATF, we would we'd say, okay, we want labs between 12 months and 24 months. Um, they have to be spayed or neutered. They, they have to, uh, you know, they, they can't have a bobtail. Uh, you know, all these requirements going down the line of the things they needed. Um, but that's for their food reward program. Yeah. Um, it, you know, normally it'll come out of a contracting office, but they'll get an SME within the canine division, same at Lackland. It'll come from my contracting office that I work with there. But someone in at Lackland would have given them the standards that they want. We're going to go into a little bit about what, what started the, the 501c3, which sounds to me like this is your... This is your baby, right? This is this is definitely my passion. This is why I left, uh, you know, government work to, to work on this. So, what I learned was in all that time that I was working, uh, you know, my 24-year career, I did have uh, police, military, and government. Was when these dogs are retiring, we put we put so much time and effort and money into training them and doing things with them that when they retire, well, they're done. And the government or the military is not going to lift a hand to do anything about that to help them. And I'll give you an example. Uh, I have canine Axel here with me. Uh, he, he, he travels with us uh, all the time. And Axel here is retired from the ATF uh, SRT, Special Response Team 1 out of Detroit, Michigan. And he's probably worth, you know, as a taxpayer, probably about uh, $500,000. Wow. probably what we put yeah. into him. Because when you're on SRT, 
you know, either you're on a mission or you're training. There's no patrol work. There's no, like, going out. It's like, hey, we got a mission. So he did 200 high-risk missions across the United States. And those types of missions are, are Hell's Angel search, stuff like mm-hmm. that, right? right. Put his life on the line 200 times. So he retired at 8 years old, and he, had, uh, he has uh, panis, megaesophagus, and a severe dermatitis. Jeez. His medications are about five to $600 a month. So, and he needed a home when he retired because his handler was getting a his handler was getting a new dog, and uh, the new dog was going to be a one year old Malin. He, he just couldn't keep both in the house. So, uh, I don't know if you guys know Jim Haggerty, mm-hmm. but Jim reached out to me and said, "Hey, you know, I know you were at the foundation. Is this something maybe you guys can take in?" So I'm like, I "Absolutely, we'll take it." And so he's a great ambassador for us. He actually travels with us full time, and we go do public speaking, um, and we talk to all kinds of groups and corporate entities about what we do. Um, and, and we have a lot of different dogs in the program that are like that. So we look for dogs with special needs or who are a financial burden on the handler, and we try to help out with that. So the basis of our program is to provide up to three thousand dollars a year in medical, and we have emergency fund if they need more. Uh, we food drop shipped to their home because uh, that's no longer being paid for either like it was their entire life mm-hmm. up to that point. And then I have a death benefit assistance program where we'll do the cremation or burial if you want it. I try to do a laser engraved urn and I have an artist who does a nice custom uh, 24 by 36 portrait of each year that we give to the family. That's amazing. Now, do you typically find that they retire to the handler or do you, you have people that you adopt out to foster people they kind of on a list or 90 percent of the dogs in the program are going to the handler yeah um you know there's that 10 percent we have to place yeah um because uh, maybe a situation like axel where he didn't have a home we have a we have another dog jet lee who came out uh naval uh special yep. operations uh, warfare and uh jet uh did two tours over there he was getting a little loud on the breaching so about five years old uh they had to retire him well he went to indianapolis pd Ends up having another 100 apprehensions to these 10. Uh, when he got to Indianapolis, they named him, uh, they, it, it was Nicker back when he was out with the SEALs. Changed his name to Jet Lee after John Dwangar, who was killed on Extortion 17. Right. Right, yeah. So Jet, um, who's in our program, he had to be placed because his handler got out of law enforcement and he was given to another handler whose dog just died. And uh, what happened there was is uh, then he was getting a new dog. So they called me and said, hey, this is, uh, this is the situation we got. I was like, well, absolutely, we'll take him because uh, I'm very familiar with the Dwangar family. So I reached out to the siblings of Johnny, uh, Chan and Pan, uh, out in South Sioux City, Nebraska, and said, hey, this is a situation I got. Is it, you know, this isn't a dog your brother handled, but it was renamed after him. They're like, sure, we want it. So I paid for the, uh, we, you know, as a foundation, we paid for the shipping out there, and now we're committed to make sure he's got health care, food. We, we get food drop shipped over to their house, and when his time comes, we'll make sure that we take care of the death benefit. That's amazing. Stories like that give me like goosebumps. You know, right. it's yeah, crazy. So, I mean, this is a little different than like uh, uh, Warrior Dog Foundation or than like uh, the Spikes Canine guys. So, right. I mean, they're actually housing um, uh, what I would consider trouble cases. I mean, we right. had a dog that went down to them, and <clears throat> so you're actually helping handlers that are going to keep dogs that that serve full time, right. are able to be retired into a home. And then because, you know, I mean, Mike makes a good point when he was on here last time. He talks about how, you know, if it doesn't directly support the mission or the warfighter, like, you know, and I kind of said, you know, they're, 
they're not really thinking about it in the long term. And Mike said, you know, they're, they're not, but I can't really fault them for it because if it doesn't directly support the mission or the warfighter, then it's kind of a it's kind of a lost cause. So, which is the story of how right. you know the Warrior Dog Foundation came to be, and, and so this one. Um, you know they're accepting like they sign like like you said you sign over congratulations you get right. a dog and now you're financially able for right everything so, yeah, these dogs can be expensive I right. mean I mean you guys probably know oh, yeah. uh, these these issues like I said Axel has at five six a month they're not going away no. Um, no. he's eight and a half so if he lives 13 14 that's gonna be 600 a month and it can only go up from there until the day he passed away that's a lot of money for any police officer or government employee um, and so it's really my passion to make sure that this dog lives a happy retirement, that he's not going to be put down early just because somebody couldn't pay a bill. And that's the one thing I don't want to see happen. And we've been doing really good with a lot of corporate sponsorships. As you see, the shirt I'm wearing, we're sponsored by Nine Line Apparel. Right. They make all my apparel. Uh, we got uh, the book coming out, or my book's been out, Canine Flash Becomes a Hero, and I want to talk a little bit about that before yeah. we get off here. For sure. But uh, we got a lot of different a lot of different things going on that uh, help raise the money. Um, uh, we're getting some good corporate sponsorships. Some companies are giving 10% back of you know their wow. sales back to us, uh, and I want to do that. Uh, Sig just gave me a, a Sig uh, about a hundred thousand dollar retail donation here last month of their. Um, they had some leashes, collars, and coats that they were doing. They're getting rid of them all, and they're giving them to me. Um, whether I want to sell them outright yeah. or do whatever, but um, you know, so a lot of these corporate entities are reaching out to me, and I, I'm trying to expand that just finishing year two of this program um, and I want to go from 25 dogs in the program to 250 and that's why I'm reaching out some really big sponsorships right now some really big corporations say hey do you want to get involved and I want to take the five most deserving retired police canines or military working dogs for a financial burden five from all 50 states and, and maintain that and yeah. at that level 250 dogs that's that's my end goal the dog he's talking about Axel uh, for those of you listening we saw him today is a gorgeous dog Real good, and I like a Sable Shepherd. They're gorgeous-looking dogs, and he's he's real nice. Are you finding what, what a lot of people don't understand is when they think a retired dog, they're like, ah, I'm just going to give this dog a couple years. Well, some of these dogs could be three or four, right. based on on uh, medical issues, PTSD, or different things like that. So they forget that. Okay, I'll take this dog. You may have ten years right. of a couple thousand bucks a year in medical bills, and uh, it's great that you guys have. Uh, have stepped up to help that stuff. Are you finding are more, more of the dogs you got from law enforcement or from military? Um, I'm trying to spread it out. You know, I'm, try, I'm trying to be, uh, as a board, we, we make the decisions who comes in. To be honest with you, the, the big thing I look at was what's the financial burden or what's the special needs. Okay. You know, if it's, if it's, if it's something that the dog's not receiving because someone can't pay for it, it's probably a dog I want to take in first. We have uh, dogs in uh, from the Air Force, from the Navy, from the Marine Corps, um, and, and we have some police dogs. We've had accelerant detection dog. We have one search and rescue dog. So if it has worked in, my standards are, if it's worked in the police or military background, it's open to the program. But I'm looking, like you said, I'm looking for a true hero. I'm, I'm not looking for a dog that failed out of its program. Right. I'm looking for a dog that served our country, risked its life for our country, and then is still deserving of a good retirement. That's yeah. awesome. So uh, you guys are publishing a book. Um, we've got it sitting here in front of us. Uh, it's about Canine Flash Becomes a Hero. And Flash was your 
dog you saved from being euthanized, correct? That's correct. So in 2005, uh, doing a class up in Washington State with uh, Washington State Patrol, uh, I was at Yakima PD at the time, and we were looking for dogs for the class. We were, it was under a Border Patrol type program where we would actually select dogs uh, from the pound. We were, look, we were evaluating drives, and Flash had all the drives, and uh, she was going to be put down. She had dog aggression, and they were going to put her down because she just wasn't social. And they couldn't think they placed her. She was found on the street. So, uh, you know, with a, hey, ain't going to hurt. Take another dog in. Uh, we need some extra dogs for the class. Well, the dog I had didn't work out. So I ended up working with Flash. And uh, Flash goes on to score 100% on her certification on her dog in the, and there to do so. And I happened to work in Yakima, Washington at the time, which was a, a busy area for drug activity and was assigned to two DA task force. And... Uh, I had left for Blackwater in 2008, but the years I had her, we still had about 700 deployments or something like that when I was there. But she ended up having 3,000 in her entire career until she uh, retired in 2013. Wow. And um, and then she, when she retired, they actually called me. I got her back. I was in teaching in D.C. for ATF, and I, I flew out and got her. And she really inspired me to uh, start this foundation. And this year she's been uh, nominated for the 2018 American Humane uh, Law Enforcement Dog of the Year. And I think she has a really good chance. And that's, it's not based on what she did this past year as a law enforcement dog because she's retired, but her entire story and, and how, um, you know, we take this book, uh, it's been out for about a year now. We take this book and, and I've read it to schools all across the nation. Uh, I've read it in Alaska. I've read it in Houston, Texas. Uh, this year, uh, my, uh, my home state flew me back home for Veterans Day. I was the uh, honored veteran, read it to 800 kids. So we're reading it, uh, we're educating kids. And, uh, as a career canine guy, uh, you know, when I was a kid, I knew I wanted to be a soldier, but no one, no one told me you could be a canine. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't know that was a profession, and maybe you guys didn't either. No. no so I, have I no actually, idea. I actually speak to kids all the time about the profession of a canine handler, and that you can work with dogs your whole life, and uh, I try to inspire them about that because a lot of them are interested, and no one tells them that you can do what we do for a living. Right. I, I call it, you know, without reservation, the most honorable profession in the world. That, that's pretty cool. Now. That's an amazing story. So she's the impetus for the Project Canine Heroes. Yes. Is what started out. And what a lot of folks, you know, I get contacted a lot by rescues and people, and it is a great story if you can get a dog from a rescue and actually get the right drives and get them to work. But it's a one in a million shot. It is. Uh, you know, a lot of dogs, they don't pan out, and they, they don't work. I mean, uh, just like I teach in my class, I mean, you got to look at the drives and the characteristics. Um, you know, honestly, if, on my scoring sheet, she would have failed. She was horribly dog aggressive. Huh. In, in the first couple of years, it made it really hard to work. But she was really good at finding drugs. Yeah. And uh, she's a lot better now, but she's, uh, you know, she's 13 or 14 now. She didn't have a birthday, so I had to give her one. Yeah, uh, right. She was picked up off the street. She didn't have a name. She didn't have anything. Yeah. So um, I'm really hoping that, uh, you know, uh, you know, we, she got submitted for the uh, Law Enforcement Dog of the Year. It goes to it will be open to a vote coming up here uh, probably in the next month or two and we're going to be really pushing it um, to get out there because you know if, if Flash makes it to the finals uh, it's going to be a great story for Project Canine Hero uh, to, to go out there and really promote uh, what we do as a cause and what she's helped me start. Is that a uh, social media vote usually? Is that is. how they're doing it? Yep. So on the American Humane's page? Um, they're going to give me a link and we can put it out and you can vote like once yeah, a day. Yeah, it's like this the, the hero dog thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, the Leica Trent and Leica who Trent will eventually come on uh, was nominated for military mm -hmm. here. And Leica, of course, everybody knows, is the three legged dog that was shot in Afghanistan and um, was on the cover of National Geographic. But so it'll be a similar deal if everybody follows, uh, you know, 
also on social media, they saw all that stuff from last year. So uh, that'll be, yeah, that'll be fantastic. And if that happens, I'm sure Alicia will be all over it and helping to push that vote for sure. So, so there's people that are going to listen to this and they're going to want to help help right. you. How do they do that? The biggest thing to do is go to our website at www.projectk9hero.org. Um, and on that website, we got some really cool stuff. Uh, there's actually a nice three-minute video we just made that really gives an overview of what we do. But uh, we have a list of our heroes who are on there. Um, we have a, a shop page, which everything on there is a, a donation for a gift, right? So I have hats, we have coins, we have pens, we have the children's book, calendars, our apparel from Nine Line, and all that. There, uh, all the proceeds from all of those uh, come back to uh, helping the dogs in our program. That's amazing. What uh, you have social media? Well, yep, Project at Project Canine Hero. Uh, we're on both uh, Facebook and Instagram. And uh, you know, people get on there and follow us, like our page. We post on there every day what we're doing, where we're at. Uh, I actually travel the country right now full time promoting the Project Canine Hero Foundation. Um, it's all I do. I, I quit my government job to do this. Uh, also important to know that uh, none of our board members or anything are paid, uh, which I try to be real transparent. I still do my canine procurement and uh, some of my government contracts to actually make my own funds to survive. Uh, and, and no one's taking money from it. So if you donate to us, know that we're not taking any money off it. I mean, sure, we got a couple CPA bills and we got website developer bills, stuff like course, that. Yeah. But no one, no one on the staff is uh, is actually. We're 100% volunteer basis. So I volunteer about 16 to 18 hours a day of my time, <laughs> making sure that uh, we get this thing, uh, you know, where I want it to be, and we get these dogs taken care of. Awesome. Uh, so check them out. I'm going to put all the information in the show notes, or Alicia will. Um, Check those guys out on Facebook, check them out on Instagram, and check them out on the way, on the website. Uh, with that. Where are you headed next? Yeah. Our next show is we got a, f- a few big things coming up. Uh, so this year I'm going to start doing some like AKC national dog shows. Oh, uh, we did the National Finals Rodeo. We did really good there. What I'm learning is, you know, the police canine community is great and they're good supporters, but y- you guys all have dogs and you understand. Yeah, yeah. I-, I need to reach out to other animal lovers and other people who are, uh, yes. you know, something. So I'm mixing up this year, doing some horse shows, doing the national dog shows. I've already worked out with them. I can get a booth at uh, all the major events this year. And I'm kind of hitting the road doing those, and we're, we're reading our book. At, uh, you know, I get schools call me all the time. Can you come read the book to the kids? So I try to do that as much as I can, but we still have to, we still have to pay some of the bills and do a little bit of work along the way. All right. Well, I, I personally thank you. That's that's amazing to, to dedicate yeah. all that time. Being a, uh, an old-time canine handler, uh, I know that what comes with, and I, my dogs are all retired with no, no medical problems, and it's still it's expensive. So right. I appreciate it. Yeah. And with that, check them out. Instagram, Facebook, uh, check out the website. Jason, thanks for coming on. All right, thank you guys. Yes. Thanks for having me. It was me. awesome. Yeah. I love appreciate it. It was good. Working Dog Radio is edited and co-produced by Dustin Wright at Bracket Designs. Be sure to hit him up at bracketdesigns.com for any branding or content-related work you have. We were graciously granted permission to use this rad music by Brother Deeg. Go buy him a beer at brotherdeeg, spelled D-E-G-E, dot blogspot.com, spelled D-E-G-E, or hit him up on iTunes, Amazon, CD Baby, or any other music streaming stores. Check the show notes for links to both of these creative geniuses.